Amen. Amen. I am thankful for the presence of the Lord that's in this place this morning. I want to start by saying thank you to Catherine. I don't see her right now. She's in children's church, but what an amazing job that she did sharing her heart with us on that song. And I want to tell you just a little bit about how that came about. Some of you know that my mom had her first cataract surgery a week ago on Thursday. And at that point, I already knew that I would be preaching today, and I was searching, seeking the Lord as to what today's message would be. And as I was driving to my mom's surgery, the Lord put that song, Alabaster Box, so strongly on my heart. And not only did he put that song on my heart, he put Catherine on my heart, that it was her that was supposed to sing it. And just as soon as I got to a place where I could text her, I text her and asked her, I said, by any chance, do you know the song Alabaster Box? And if you do, is it one that you, that you ever do uh, anywhere? And she responded almost instantly and said, it's a song that I've loved for a long time, but I've never felt like I've had quite the right opportunity to sing that song. And so I told her, I said, I don't know what the direction of today's message will be yet, but I am certain that song is part of it. And it turns out it is. It's a big part of it. We're going to be near the end of the message today. We're going to be looking at that exact account of uh, when Mary anointed Jesus with what was in her alabaster box. But I want to say as we begin today that I, I am so thankful that we have people here that are willing to serve many times at a moment's notice, whether it's calling somebody to sing a song, whether it's asking somebody for a prop that we need in a sermon, whether it's needing somebody to go visit people, or whether it's somebody that was in that group that showed up here on Thursday, on Wednesday when we didn't have church to work on a special project, not because anybody asked them to, but just because God laid it on their heart. I want you to know, if you hadn't been able to tell already, God's doing a work throughout the church. He's doing work. Yeah, we we sometimes have to deal with things, but let us not ever let those things overshadow the great ways that God is moving. So as we move into the message today, the title of today's sermon is, What Will You Do With Your Alabaster Box? What will you do with your alabaster box? We're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 11 today. And if you've heard me preach before, most of you have. You know, I typically read the entire text at the beginning of the sermon. I am not going to do that today for the sake of time. We are going to be covering a lot of Scripture today. So I trust that you'll be following along in your Bibles if you have those with you. If not, they are going to be uh, on the screen. Every Scripture that we, that we talk about is going to be on the screen this morning. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. So as we begin reading this very first verse, we are introduced to a man whose name is Lazarus. And then the the text tells us where he's from. He's from Bethany. And Bethany is also the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then in verse 2, we're immediately told that it was Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her. It was her that did that. And like I said a minute ago, towards the end of the message today, we are going to be looking at that precise account of when she did that. But what I want to be sure that you get right now from the very first is that when she did this to Jesus, it was such an extreme act of humility. Such an extreme act 
of humility. And as I was preparing the sermon today, it caused me to ask myself some questions. The first of which is, how humble am I, really? How humble am I? We know that God's Word tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, that we are supposed to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So it caused me to continue asking myself some questions. Again, how humble am I, really? How humble am I? How gentle am I, really? Here's a big one. How patient am I? How patient am I? Do I bear with others in love? Do I do that? Am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Am I? I wonder. I wonder about those things. And I hope that you will examine your lives and wonder and, and wonder those same questions. Ask yourselves those exact same questions. So now as we go back in our text from John chapter 11, in verse 3, we see that Lazarus, what we're gonna, the situation is Lazarus is sick. And so the sisters send to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, I think we can get a couple of things from the last part of that verse. First of all, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him. But what I want you to also know is that Jesus also loves you. He loves you. And how do I know that? It's because the Bible tells us so. The Bible tells us so. Now, another thing that we can learn from this particular verse, is that sometimes we take a request to Jesus and He doesn't answer like we want Him to. We, maybe He doesn't answer like we expect Him to. And we may not even understand the answer at all. And I think that's what we're going to see here in our text today. These two sisters knew their brother was sick. They knew he was very sick. I believe these two sisters knew that Jesus was the only hope for their brother or he was going to die. I wonder, have you ever found yourself asking Jesus to do something and then he answers much differently than you wanted him to? I don't know how many of you were here the Wednesday night back in October when Brother Blake and I had gotten back from Zimbabwe. And we shared about our trip with you. But if you were here, you've already heard this, what I'm getting ready to tell you. But I had a specific instance when I was in Zimbabwe where I specifically cried out to the Lord and asked one thing, and that's not how he answered at all. Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm a very clean person, almost to the point of being OCD about it. But the first night that I was in the village in Zimbabwe that I was assigned to, the house that I was in was absolutely bug-infested. There were bugs everywhere. On top of all the bugs were what seemed like millions of flies. Where I was supposed to sleep was on this mat that was down on a concrete floor. Bugs were running all over that. I mean, you could not see a spot on that mat that didn't have a bug on it. And they were all moving. 
And so I got up. I got up and I cried out to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt you've called me to come here. And you're just going to have to take care of the bugs. Now, what I meant when I said that was, I want you to take them away. I want you to take them away. But that is not at all what he did. None of the bugs disappeared. But what he did, he calmed me where I could lay back down on that mat in the midst of all those bugs with them crawling all over me and close my eyes and go to sleep. That's how he answered. And I want you to know this morning that some of you may think you have asked the Lord something and he has not heard you. That may be what the enemy is telling you. He hadn't heard you. Or maybe the Lord has answered you and you don't understand. But I want you to know this morning, His plan's perfect. We've got to get to the point where we realize that He's Jesus and we are not. We've got to get to the point where we realize that His plan is absolutely perfect. His eyes see things that our human eyes cannot see. So many times I'm convinced we look at situations and we believe we know everything and all about it. But so many times, our human eyes only see a fragment of what the true situation is. That is why it is so important to seek the Lord in everything that we do. Now we see in verses 5 and 6, it tells us again, Jesus loves Martha, He loves her sister Mary, and He loves Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, doesn't that make a lot of sense? These sisters have come to Jesus, have sent word to Jesus on behalf of their brother who is sick and is going to die. They know Jesus can help him. But Jesus doesn't go. Doesn't this constitute an emergency? Jesus stays where he is two days longer, knowing that his friend Lazarus is sick, knowing that his friend Lazarus is going to die. Now, we could probably spend the rest of the time that we've got today on this particular verse, these two verses. We're not going to do that, obviously. But I think there's some specific reasons that Jesus stayed exactly where he was for those two days. I know there are some specific reasons that Jesus did that because Nothing just happens when Jesus is involved. Nothing just consequently happens when Jesus is involved. So we're going to move to verse 11. Now at this point, Jesus starts to have this dialogue with his disciples. And he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So the disciples are saying to him this. At this point, they think that Lazarus is simply asleep. So they tell him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to look at the disciples and really give them a bad rap. We might even ask ourselves, how could they possibly have not known what Jesus was talking about? You know, sometimes, for many years, I was guilty, especially when we, when we move toward Easter and we look at the particular scriptures where Jesus plainly tells his disciples about what's going to happen to him. 
He's going to be arrested. He is going to be crucified. He's going to be placed in the tomb. And then he's going to rise again three days later. That's exactly what happened. And the disciples were so surprised that that's what happened. And it's easy, it's easy to look at those men and say, they walked with Him, they touched Him, they saw the miracles. How could they not have known? I want us to ask ourselves the same questions this morning. Don't we walk with Him as Christians? Don't we see the miracles that He does today? How could we not know when it's Jesus? How could we not know? And then we see in verse 13, Jesus had spoken of His death. Obviously, we know that. But they thought that He meant taking rest and sleep. And then He tells them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. And I'll tell you, when I read that particular verse, the then Jesus told them plainly part, it caused me to start asking myself a bunch more serious questions. How plainly does Jesus have to speak to me before I listen and do what he says? How plainly does he have to make it to me before I will simply do what he says and follow him? How many doors does he have to continually open in my life before I am willing to walk through one? How many? Or do I find myself asking, Lord, show me one more open door, and then I'll know it's you, and then I'll do it if you'll do one more thing. How many doors does he have to open before we will step out on faith and do what he's asking us to do? How plainly does he have to speak? To us before we follow him. And then in verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. So this situation appears to be an absolute disaster, doesn't it? Lazarus is not only dead, he's been in the tomb for four days. It appears that Jesus is late. Folks, I want you to know Jesus has never been late anywhere. He will never be late anywhere. He may not show up when you want to see Him show up, but He will show up just the same, and it will be at the perfect time when He shows up. And then in verse 20 and 21, I think we see a very familiar scene here of things that still happen today. So Martha heard that Jesus is coming, so she goes to meet him. And at this point, Mary's staying seated in the house. But look at verse 21, the dialogue that Martha has with Jesus. She tells him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What about that dialogue to have with Jesus? Jesus, it's your fault. You nearly was sick. Why didn't you come earlier? Why didn't you show up when we asked you to? Now look at the situation. He's dead. He's buried. What can you possibly do right now? You should have come when we asked you to. Maybe that's harsh. But don't we find ourselves asking Jesus the same types of questions? Jesus, why? Why have you allowed me to be in this situation? Why didn't you allow me to get that job? 
Why did you not allow me to marry that person? Why didn't you allow me to have more money? It's your fault, Jesus. If you had opened those doors, things would have been so much different for me. Folks, I want you to know this morning that any time we have a conversation with Jesus and we try to blame Him for our temporary problems, it's a very, very serious conversation that we're having. And we need to be very, very careful about that. And then Jesus says to her, to Martha, in verse 25 and 26, He's saying, Martha, I am the resurrection. Martha, I am the life. Martha, whoever believes in me, though yet he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You know, that's a, that's a chilling question, isn't it? It caused me to ask myself those same questions. Todd, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Todd, do you believe that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live? Todd, do you believe that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die? Todd, do you believe this? And it caused me to think that maybe I just need to draw a line on the screen this morning. And ask you to put your name in it. And ask you to ask yourself those exact same questions. Do you believe that He is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that whoever believes in Him, though He die, yet shall He live? And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. And insert your name. Do you believe this? Now in verse 32, Mary comes to Jesus. And basically she repeats the exact same dialogue that Martha has already had with him. Again, she's telling him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then we're going to proceed just in the sake of time to verse 39. At this point, Jesus is at the tomb. And he tells them to take away the stone. Now, that sounds like a really simple command, doesn't it? Take away the stone. But notice what Martha does. She takes the opportunity to remind Jesus of how impossible this situation is. Jesus, do you know that He died? Do you know that He's been in the tomb for four days? Do you know that He's going to stink when that stone is rolled away. Jesus, don't you realize how impossible this situation is? They were right on the verge of a miracle. And yet she was telling Jesus of how impossible the situation was. And then it caused me to ask myself, what miracle in my life might I be right on the verge of? And I continue to tell Jesus how impossible the situation is. What miracle might our church be right on the verge of? And we continue to tell Jesus of how impossible the situation is. It caused me to wonder, what miracle might you in your personal lives meet right, might be right on the verge of? But we continue to tell Jesus of how bleak the situation 
looks. Could I take an opportunity to remind you this morning that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that is impossible with Jesus. When He speaks, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. And verse 43, Jesus issues this command. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Now, I believe, I completely believe that when Jesus said this, I think it happened immediately. I think Lazarus got up, and I think that he got right out of that tomb. And can you imagine what a commotion that would have caused? All of those people that were standing there knew that he was dead. Remember in one of the earlier verses when I said that Jesus stayed where he was for two extra days before he went. Let's just suppose for a moment he hadn't done that and he had gone immediately and that he healed Lazarus before he ever died. There would have probably been many people that would say, you know, he really wasn't that sick anyway. He would have gotten well anyway. But what could their argument be with this? Those people knew he was in the grave. They knew he had died. And now a dead man has walked out of the tomb. Can you imagine the commotion that that would have caused? Can you imagine what it would be like if this afternoon you go down to one of the local funeral homes for a visitation or for a funeral and the dead person gets up out of the casket and starts walking around? Can you imagine the commotion that would cause? Really, can we? Now, if we believe that Jesus caused Lazarus to walk out of that tomb. Do we not believe that he would have that exact same power today? Really? Maybe we need to go back to the the screen where I drew the line. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? And I'm going to tell you, I do. I believe that Jesus is just as capable of bringing somebody back from the dead now as he has ever been. I do. I believe that. He is completely able to. To do that. But again, Jesus was not late. He was not late to this situation. He was exactly on time. It just didn't look like it to their human minds at the time. Now I want to spend the rest of the time that we've got this morning in John chapter 12, and we're going to look at just the very first few verses of that. And we're going to be talking about specifically the, the instance where Mary anointed Jesus. Now, in verse 1, we see that Jesus came to Bethany. We've heard that word before. Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. How remarkable that is. How amazing that is. So we see that they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha was serving them. And look what it says. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Can you imagine what that would have been like? This man, Lazarus, has gone from the tomb to sitting at the table with Jesus. He has gone from the tomb to sitting at the table with Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, is there a situation in your life Is there possibly some sin in your life this morning 
that has placed you in a tomb. Really, I wonder, is there sin in some of our lives that has really done the equivalent of placing us in a tomb? If if there is this morning, I want you to know there is good news. You can go from that tomb of sin to sitting at the table with Jesus Christ, and it can happen today. It can happen today. It can happen right now. Now, it does involve some things on our part, but it can happen today. And then we see in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I want to tell you this morning, that was such an extreme display of humility on her part. First of all, we're going to see in a minute what she poured out was expensive. But I believe she was in the position where the price didn't matter to her. The price didn't matter at all. And then, I want you to know that it was not unusual for anointings to take place. But what was unusual about this is the place of the anointing. Typically, the the ointment would have gone on the head area. But Mary put this directly on the feet of Jesus. Another extreme act of humility. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. She wiped his feet with her hair. In that day, it was extremely uncommon that a Jewish woman would ever take her hair down in public. But I believe if we could have been there that day in that room, we would have seen easily that there was one person in that room that Mary really cared about, and his name was Jesus. It didn't matter to her what anybody else in the room thought. It didn't matter to her if anybody there thought she had lost her mind. She was interested in worshiping Jesus. And I believe that what we're seeing here is indeed a moment of true worship. And I wonder, it causes me to wonder, really, what's it look like when we worship? What's it look like inside our hearts, inside our souls? What are we doing with our alabaster boxes? Are we willing to pour that out on the feet of Jesus no matter the cost? And as I wind up quickly here, I want to point out to you any time that true worship of Jesus is really occurring, there's going to be problems. There's going to be people that will find some way to complain. And that's exactly what we see Judas do here. Now, we all know the story of Judas. We all know that he's going to go on to betray Jesus shortly after this. But Judas has seen this display of Mary, and he asks the question, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, if you were here a few Sundays ago when I preached on Sunday morning, I told you that a denarius in those days was typically the equivalent of one day's wages. So by this statement that Judas makes, we can tell for sure that the contents in Mary's alabaster box It was expensive. Basically, the equivalent of one year's wages for one person. That's what she poured out on his feet. But again, I don't think Mary was concerned with the price. She was willing to give what she had to Jesus. 
I wonder this morning, are you, are we, or is it too expensive to give to Jesus? Judas is saying, hey, this should have been sold and given to the poor. But the scripture goes on to say he really wasn't concerned with the poor. Because what he was wanting to do is help himself into the money bag. And again, if you'll look at most churches who have experienced problems, most of the time there are situations that get relayed as being the absolute truth that are so, so far from what the situation actually is. And this is what Judas is doing here. He is trying to tell these people that are there, hey, here's what the situation is. We should have sold this and given the money to the poor. What the situation really was, Judas didn't care about the poor. He cared about himself only. So I wonder, how much are we willing to give to Jesus? Remember, he gave us everything. He paid the ultimate price. Now, if you ever have a dialogue with Jesus, if he's told you to give something and you don't want to, hey, that's too expensive. I don't mind at all to tell you. I've seen many people who were literally millionaires one day and have nothing the next day. It can happen overnight. If you are in a battle with Jesus, you're going to lose. It's just a matter of when. How much would be too much to give to Jesus? Judas is really saying here, hey, that was too expensive to use on Jesus. What a shameful place to be in. I wonder what it would really look like here if the only thing, if the most important thing on our list was true worship of Jesus Christ. What would it look like if we came to the altar with our alabaster boxes and poured it out on the feet of Jesus? You see, I believe that what's in my alabaster box, it might not necessarily be the same value of what's in yours. The value in your alabaster box might even be greater than the value of mine. But I'll tell you, it's worth everything to me. Am I willing to pour it out on the feet of Jesus? Am I willing to worship Him no matter what other people might think? Even if somebody posts on social media, He's gone off the deep end for Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to go off the deep end for anybody, I hope it's Jesus. I hope that it is Jesus. What about you? Maybe there's people here this morning that have decisions that need to be made for Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I believe our worship needs to be exactly like the chorus of that song that Catherine sang. That went something like this. I've come to pour out my praise on Him like oil in Mary's alabaster box. So don't be angry if I wash His feet with my tears and dry them with my hair. But you see, You weren't there the night that He found me. 
You weren't there when he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the cost of that oil that's in that alabaster box. Lord, I pray that we will continually be willing to pour it all out for you. Lord, I pray that we will not be tempted to leave any of it in the box. Let us be poured out completely for you. Lord, I pray that you will move throughout this invitation. Lord, I pray that, um, that people will be saved and set free. And I pray that you'll be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
情。